the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, 614-917-1040, the number to set up your appointment. As I said, they're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, a bit north of 23 and 270. As we sit here and discuss getting people to financial independence, Josh, a big part of that is what do you have to pay the government every year? Because if you can reduce your tax liability, you have more to invest. Yeah, I would suggest that most people shy of maybe their mortgage payment, maybe even including their mortgage payment, their tax bill is probably their largest bill. So any way we can reduce that definitely makes a significant difference in the long run. And I think, you know, we've we've probably beaten to death a lot of the common things, like make sure that if you can qualify for it, you do an HSA every year if you mm-hmm. can afford it, which is putting away money pre-tax, gross tax deferred, and you pull money out tax-free as long as you use it for healthcare expenses. Um, The other option would be make sure that you're maximizing your qualified plans through your employer. You can put that money in either pre-tax, which is great, or you can do the post-tax option, and then you effectively are in a Roth situation where you have no taxes down the line. And there's a bunch of things like that, and and I would suggest that everybody goes to uh, my website, go to the Knowledge Center tab, and you can sign up for our newsletter. And even this, uh, just today we released a newsletter with seven things you can do from now until tax time to impact your tax situation. But let's Mm -hmm. talk about some more Maybe more specific things that I see all the time, uh, two of which I can think about right now that I saw this week with clients that came in from other advisors. So these are clients that were not my clients yet, but were either referred to me or or called us for whatever reason. And these scenarios showed up with them and they, they can make a significant difference. And it's things that I see all the time that just doesn't make any sense to me. Here's one. I had a client who inherited a lot of money. So, um, think several million dollars. And all of that money is sitting in what we would call non-qualified accounts. So this is just after-tax dollars, the taxes have already been paid, they're in brokerage accounts earning earning interest or you know, they're invested in stocks. And my question to him was, why are you not transitioning over $14,000 a year from your non-qualified account into Roth IRAs for you and your wife every year? And they qualify for it. So income-wise they're fine. Okay. And he said, well, why would I want to do that? Well, right now, your money is sitting in a non-qualified account, getting capital gains, dividends, interest. Every single year, whether you use that money or not, you're paying taxes on those capital gains, dividends, and interest. If you shift over $14,000 from your non-qualified account 
Think of it as taking a pair of shoes from one shelf, put it on the other. It's still on the same shelf, right? It doesn't matter. It's still your money. You're not locking it up or anything like that. Every dollar of interest, capital gains, or dividends that are received once you put it in that Roth IRA is tax-free forever. It's the same thing. Don't change the investments. Do the same thing. And he goes, well, why, why wouldn't my other advisor tell me to do this? I don't have the slightest idea. The only option I can come up with is, and this is you know, why fiduciary standards I think are pretty important and why the industry keeps on shifting that direction, is it's extra work for no extra money, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here's the funny part. People talk about Roth conversions all the time. Why is my advisor not telling me about Roth conversions? Well, let's think about it. If you have a million-dollar account, and I'm making 1% or whatever my fee is off of the million-dollar account, I make ten grand a year. If I take 500000 of that and I do a Roth conversion with it, we have to pay the taxes on it first, right? So maybe now I'm only managing $900,000. Now, it's far better for you to be in the Roth and do all the tax planning, all that stuff, but now I'm doing extra applications, extra work, all of this extra stuff, extra explanation, the yeah. list goes on, to make less money. It doesn't make any sense. That's why they don't explain it to you. Now, I'm of the belief that good planning in the long run, it all works out, right? Ultimately, if it's in a tax-free environment and you're at some point, I would assume you're saving all this money to actually use it. Okay, so I'm going to make less money today, but in the future, you're going to need to withdraw less money because you don't have to pay any taxes. So it's all going to work out in the wash, right? But I don't understand why people don't do that. And I see that kind of thing happen all the time. So first, uh, I guess, idea would be if you have a lot of non-qualified dollars and you can qualify for a Roth, and you're not doing it, you should be doing it. The second one that came in this week, uh, which is, this is kind of a clever use. I know we've been talking over the past couple of weeks about life insurance. Mm-hmm. And how can you use life insurance uh, for tax-free income? Well, let's assume that you don't want to use the life insurance for tax-free income. You want to have the life insurance for death benefit, but you'd also like to do Roth conversion. There's an interesting little strategy. So let's say I have a million-dollar IRA. I'd like to convert some of that to a Roth, but I know I'm going to have to pay taxes on it. But I don't really want to pay taxes on it because who wants to pay taxes? But I also have this life insurance policy that I've never used that's got a $500,000 death benefit, but it's got $250,000 worth of cash value in it. Insert your numbers. It really doesn't matter. I can convert $100,000 of my IRA to a Roth. I have to pay taxes on the IRA. Mm -hmm. But why don't I take a loan off my life insurance policy, tax-free, to pay the taxes on the Roth conversion? Well, now I have a tax-free death benefit that still remains on my life insurance policy. I'm paying maybe 1% as a loan rate on my life insurance policy to, in turn, pay for tax liability that might be 20 or 30% on my IRA. That's a very – now, if you didn't follow that, that's kind of a complicated one. But my point and what I'm trying to convey here is we so many times talk about how can I get a higher rate of return? How can I, what's the best stock to buy? How can I go from zero to a million in 10 seconds? Right. What we'd never talk about, which I would argue can move the needle on your financial picture just as much, is how do I make this money without paying taxes on it? Legally, we're not talking about any sort of funny business here. And the reason that not a lot of effort is focused on it, I believe, is unfortunately because there's not a lot of money to be made on it. But, if you're going to, from my perspective, if you're going to acquire significantly high net worth, astute clients who are looking at you, and we've heard this all before, why would I work with an advisor? You know, I can do all this stuff on my own. I have mm-hmm. Vanguard. I have whatever, yeah. right? Why would I work with you? Because you're not getting that information from Vanguard. So if you're going to pay me to do something, I better be able to hold up my end of the bargain and show you something that you can't 
do on your own that actually makes a significant impact. So these are the types of strategies that we do all the time. It's not just money management. It's wealth management as it relates to taxes. Josh and I have done this show for a while, and we talk off air, too. Uh, He's outlined a couple of these scenarios where I've thought a couple things. Number one, that's really brilliant. Number two, like, wow, I would never have thought to bring to my financial advisor a question about how should I buy this boat or how should I buy this car or what should I do with this rental property or something like that. Because I do tend to think of, I have in the past thought of of an investment advisor as somebody who just is interested in taking whatever amount of money I can give him to invest and that's the end of it. But you really, you are a wealth advisor and, and I'm interested, you're a fiduciary, which we talked before, you're contractually obligated to do what's best for your client. In that scenario, you outlined for the person who had a million dollars and they could put some of it in a Roth and pay less taxes and all that. You said that maybe they had an advisor who wouldn't do that because they're going to not make any money off the person giving them less money to invest. How does the system work where fiduciaries are held to the standard of, are you doing what's best for the client? How does that work? Like, are there investment advisors who are not fiduciaries? Uh, for, well, there's not investment advisors that aren't fiduciaries, but there are certainly quote-unquote advisors that aren't fiduciaries. So there's two ways really to operate in this business. Way number one is an investment advisor, which is the definition of essentially fiduciary. So you're, what that means is you're being paid a fee for service. So you get a flat fee that cannot be disproportionately paid based upon any one product versus the other. Simple explanation would be we have – you say you want to buy – Uh, a mutual fund and mutual fund a pays me 5% commission and mutual fund B pays me 4% commission. If I was a broker, which is the other side of the house, as long as they're both suitable for you, I can pick whichever one I want. Now, maybe the one that's 5% commission to me isn't quite as good as the one that's 4% commission to me, but it doesn't matter because they're both suitable. A fiduciary on the other hand, or an investment advisor, let's say that, you know, the fee is 1%. I have to make the same 1% as 1% as 1%. doesn't matter the product. So how do I make more money? Well, I make more money by your account size growing. Sure. So I would be inclined to do two things, which I think are incredibly valuable. One, make sure that I pick an investment that gives you the best upside potential. And two, pick an investment that not only gives you the most upside potential, but has the least volatility risk. Because from that advisor's perspective, if the market goes down 30% and you go down the full 30% with them, his income just went down by 30%. He doesn't want that either, or she doesn't want that either. Right. So I think, you know, the fiduciary side of things puts you on the same side of the table as the client and certainly levels the playing field and lets you know that while maybe this fiduciary or this investment advisor isn't the smartest person ever, isn't the best advisor ever, at least I know that well-built fences make for great neighbors and they have my best interests in mind. They have to. What it doesn't ensure is whether or not that investment advisor knows a lot. There's, I mean, it means they passed a test. Mm-hmm. It means that, um, you know, they've passed ethical standards. It means that they don't have, you know, significant things on their background check, but just like everything else in life. I mean, there's, there's D student doctors and A student doctors, right? And the real challenge, I believe, is finding who was the A student doctor. And there's a couple ways you can do that. One is through referrals. The other way is educate yourself enough to know when you're speaking to somebody that they, they know their stuff. So my wife and I sat through the consultation at Aptis, and we are now clients at Aptis. And I say that not because I'm trying to pressure you into becoming clients at Aptis or because I get anything out of it if you become clients. 
I say that because we just reached a total peace of mind. And when you turn over your retirement to somebody else, I mean, there has to be trust there. And we went through the process and we developed trust, not that we didn't have it going in, but there's a different level of trust where you just know somebody as opposed to saying, yeah, I want to put you in charge of my investments. But we also understood what was happening and what the strategies were. And, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of uh, inside baseball knowledge here because Josh and I do talk about these scenarios, and I'm like, okay, this guy really knows his stuff. But that's up to you. And, you know, I, I'd be curious to know, Josh, if people come in, if they make the call, they call 614-917-1040, or they set it up online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Like, you didn't campaign, I should do this because. Uh, and I don't know if that happens, if that's what people fear when they're thinking about the process. But give me your kind of viewpoint of how you relate to clients and if people would be interested in coming in, what they can expect from that conversation. Yeah, well, I think one is that it's not a sales process. That's a very big shocker to people, I think. I think they're waiting for the shoe to drop where they go, aha, bait and switched me. I knew you were trying to sell me a XYZ product, right? And, and that just doesn't happen. Um, the other thing that I think is shocking to people is that it's, it's pretty time consuming. It, it's not just one meeting. It, it takes several meetings to figure this out. And the reason for that is, you know, the old adage, how to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. Mm -hmm. As we're talking on this radio show, it sounds like, wow, these are really kind of some complicated, you know, strategies. How in the world am I going to understand this stuff? Well, you're not going to in one meeting. Uh, It's going to take a while, but we'll get there. So the process is one where we understand who you are and what you've done so far. And part of that is learning what your background is. You know, engineers have a certain way of thinking versus somebody who does a different occupation. So. You have to kind of cater how you're delivering the information. But then in meeting two, we simply just analyze what you've done and we see if the arrow hits a target. Now, through that conversation, we get to talk about different elements of financial planning. What is risk? We talk about it all the time, but what is it? What's the difference between risk and volatility? Is there a difference? What are the potential landmines that could affect you when you're in your 60s and 70s that had no bearing on you in your 40s and 50s? And through this kind of piecemeal giving of knowledge along the way, you start to develop a base knowledge and understanding of what this whole process is. Not until meeting three do we actually kind of give you the solutions, the blueprint. And at that point, after meeting number three, we kind of figure out, hey, is this a good relationship, yes or no? Is this something you want to pursue? Are you a good client for us? Because we can't help everybody. Um, And then we move on. So there's never, I think the shocker would be the decision is never rushed and the decision is never forced. At no point am I going to go, hey, I'm going to go get the paperwork. You ready to sign? You're probably going to have to ask me for it. That's just not the way that we we work. I'm very fortunate in that, you know, probably the most difficult part of this business is acquiring clients, and that just really isn't a difficult uh, thing for us, uh, which is, I mean, we're truly blessed to be in that position. But what we're really looking for is good people who are reasonably like-minded, who are willing to follow through on what they say, and who desperately desire to get the answers that they're looking for for the peace of mind that you were talking about. Aptus is located in Lewis Center. They're just off Route 750, and that's not far from 23 and 270. They do service a lot of clients remotely, so if you're out of the area, that's not an impediment to becoming an Aptus client. Their number is 614-917-1040. Their website is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, and you can become a subscriber to Josh's YouTube channel for free. Get notified when new content is posted. These kinds of concepts that we talk about here on the show, which airs Friday night at 7 and Saturday at noon, same kind of thing. We just break it down in smaller doses, and you can pause that content or share it or watch uh, watch it again, take notes on it. Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show, again, airs at 7 o'clock Friday and at noon 
Saturday. Do you find when you have consultations with people that uh, you have a lot of financial bad habits to break with people or because they're coming in, they've already prioritized uh, to some degree managing their wealth and building retirement, that there are people who already have pretty good habits in place? Uh, There's both. Um, I would say in general, if you're coming to meet with me, you've probably saved some money. Uh, Otherwise, it's very difficult to understand what we're even talking about, or at least you're on a path of being consistent Mm -hmm. in your way of savings. I think rather than bad habits, the conversations that we have a lot are misconceptions. Um, and, And I'll use a couple of examples. You know, people will come in very, very often and say, uh, by the way, just letting you know, I hate annuities. I'm just picking on them yeah. because they seem to get a lot of press and get okay. picked on a lot. And my response is always the same. Me too. But some of them I like. You know, because this broad brushstroke, I mean, how can you just say you hate everything, right? What if I said that there was an annuity contract out there that, you know, cured cancer and solved all your problems? You would probably like that one. Yeah, that'd be a good one. You just don't know that it exists yet. Um, and, you know, with all financial instruments, again, just picking on annuities, but we could insert life insurance, insert mutual fund, insert, you know, pick your poison. Yep. There are good ones and bad ones. And the secret, the secret sauce is knowing what ones you need for your solution. I'll give you an example. So we were going over uh, client appointments. Here's another client appointment I had this week. A gentleman came into my office and he said, um, I'm terrified of the market. I haven't been in the market in 10 years. I've been sitting in cash, which you and I both know probably hasn't done you uh, a whole lot of favors in the last 10 years as inflation has been skyrocketing in the last two years and interest rates have been essentially zero for the last 10 years until the last 12 months. Yeah, or so. he's missed a lot of gains. He's missed a lot of gains. He would have he would have probably tripled or quadrupled his money if he was in the stock market <laughs> of the same time period. But he said, I'm just terrified. I don't want to go into it. I know you financial planner people, uh, you know, you want us to go into stocks. And he's like, you're kind of. You're kind of beating up the wrong tree if you think that I'm going to do that. So I don't know how you're going to help me, but I'm here to listen because what I'm doing ain't working. Okay, fair. Gee, holding his money and not investing it is not working. Big yeah, shock. shocker, right? So, you know, what did we end up coming to the conclusion on? Ironically, the other thing that he hated was annuities. Now, this guy is an annuity buyer. I mean, if there was a brochure yeah. for who should buy an annuity, it's this guy. His concerns were, I want lifetime income that I can't outlive. I'd like to have inflation adjustments. I don't care about leaving any money to my kids because I don't, you know, they're all doing better than I am. I'm divorced. I don't need to worry about a, my, my wife. So I just want to make sure that I have as much income as possible to live out my days, and I want to make sure I don't outlive it. That is the brochure for an annuity contract, right? But he said he didn't want one. So I described a product that would do everything that I just said an annuity would do. And I said, there's only one downside to the product. He goes, what's that? I said, you're going to have to get over your misconceptions about annuities. Anyone, are you serious? I said, yep. Let me explain to you how it works. So you don't need the money for five years. It will grow at a guaranteed, your income benefit, what your income is based upon, will grow at a guaranteed, guaranteed 7.5% over the next five years. When you start taking the money, your income will last for the rest of your life, as long as you shall live. If you die the day two, your beneficiaries will still get the remaining balance of what you had in the contract to begin with. And every single year, you will get a guaranteed 4.5% inflation adjustment. Every single year. He goes, how is that possible? Well, we can get to that in a second, but is that what you're looking for? Yep. So why am I telling this story? Because we we have, you asked me about misconceptions or 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 preconceived notions. Preconceived notions or bad habits. 
sometimes our bad habits are our own naivety, right? Our bad habits are thinking that we have something all figured out. Now, the reality was what he thought an annuity was, was a variable annuity. There's four different kinds in general. Mm -hmm. He specifically described a variable annuity. He didn't even know there was three other kinds. He didn't know that a pension essentially was an annuity contract. Similarly, people go, I don't want to get in the stock market because I don't want to gamble. They don't know that there's a million different ways to skin this cat. You can do it without gambling. You can do it with bookended risk tolerances. Yes, There's a lot of ways you can do things. So you have to have conversations about getting over those misconceptions. Well, yeah, and we don't know what bad experiences enter into people's lives. Uh, number one, they, they might have a good reason. Maybe they got burned with something, but they don't, as you said, with the annuities, they didn't know there were other options that are structured differently. Um, they may not have good information at all. Maybe they just have a wrong label on it. So, uh, and we've talked before about the number of different investments. You just referenced the strategy that I chose, at least in part, which is there's a way to be in the market, but not be in the riskiest aspect of the market where you sacrifice a little bit on certain, in certain uh, gains, you might sacrifice a little bit, but you also protect yourself against big losses. Yeah, I mean, think of it as insuring your money. Um, and and for those of you who are familiar with the strategy, you've probably already started to tilt towards always talking about indexed annuities. And sure, that's an option, but that's not the only option on hedging your hedging your bet, if you want to think of it that way. Think of it very simply as if the market goes up and I'm invested in the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, because that's what people call the market, well, then my only cost associated with that is a very small percentage, 25 basis points, maybe a quarter of a percent, maybe less. But I get 100% of the up and 100% of the down. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to say, you know what, I'm okay if I only get 80% of the up, but I'd like to only absorb 20% of the down? Yeah, you can do that. What if I would like to, if the market goes up, I'd like to get the first 15% of it. But if it goes down, I'd like to, I'll absorb the first five. I can tolerate that. But anything beyond that really starts to get my craw, right? So I want to make mm -hmm. sure that the next 25 or whatever it is is taken care of. All of these things are available. You just need to know where to look and you need to know what you're actually looking for, which is why that first meeting is so important. I need to understand what makes you tick, what you're looking for. And then my job is to find the right tool for the job. So when the fulfillment that you get out of doing what you do, uh, what is it? Is it in, um, you know, escalating returns? Is it more... Uh, relational than that? What's the what's the value, the personal value that you get out of doing what you do? Uh, well, one, uh, I've met some really cool people. We've had we've had conversations yeah. offline about just even the experiences that I've been able to do. I mean, ranging from you know getting in a flight simulator because you know somebody who works <laughs> at that particular thing, which is super cool. To I mean, just some great lifelong relationships. People that had some amazing jobs working for different different companies. So the stories that I get to receive are, are, I mean, they're just remarkable, and it keeps it interesting and new all the time. So around a cocktail hour, I got a lot of good stories, I guess, because they're a lot of fun. Now, that said, where do I get the actual, you know, fulfillment or what's the purpose-driven part in my life? You know, taking people who are fearful and giving them peace of mind has a lot of value. And I think that stems from, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, but when I was a kid, my father died when I was young. So when I was 13, my father died unexpectedly, uh, very quickly of cancer. And my mom, like many mothers back in that time frame, was a homemaker. She didn't work. She didn't balance a checkbook. She didn't do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. 
So she was saddled with the responsibility of trying to figure it all out very, very quickly. And unfortunately, blood gets in the water. They know there's a little bit of death benefit proceeds out there. And I saw how, unfortunately, and hopefully she doesn't get mad at me for saying this out loud, but I saw how certain people, in my opinion, took some pretty significant advantage of that situation. And by no means, by the way, were we wealthy. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're talking lower middle class at best. So what I saw was that people who are naive to options can be taken advantage of. So my job or what I enjoy is not just giving people the right plan. I can do that just by send me your stuff, send me your statements, tell me how much income you want, I'll spit it back out to you. But showing people what their choices are, giving them the empowerment of knowing why they're doing what they're doing and seeing how they live their life differently. Now, that's that's a purpose-driven life right there. And uh, I'll just tell you guys, you know, I knew Josh a long time before I broached the topic of getting together with him for the free consultation. It was not driven by him at all. So it's uh, it's not low pressure. It's no pressure. It is free. Uh, you'll get to know him. You'll understand more about the process. That's what I say all the time. Sherry and I have gained from it is that total peace of mind. Set up your consultation online by going to aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You can make your appointment on the phone, 614-917-1040. Josh, great to have you in the office as always. We'll talk to you again Monday on the Bruce Hooley Show at 1230. Sounds great. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And for the next half hour, we are going to be talking about managing your money, growing your money, how you invest your money, planning for retirement, planning for financial independence. Josh and the Aptus team are located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, 614-917-1040, their number at the office. You can also find them on the web at AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Why is that relevant? Because you can set up a free consultation with the Aptus team. And if you don't have a plan, now's the best time to get one. And Josh, when we talk about retirement, a big piece of retirement, and there are many pieces to it, often is Social Security. And there are expectations that people have with what Social Security will be, and what I've noticed in talking to people who are getting ready to retire, they see it out there on the horizon, and then they hear the headlines come from Washington, D.C., that Social Security is going to be insolvent, that Social Security might not be there to the extent that they want it to be there, and that there might be one party or another party that's going to finagle Social Security, reduce it, or raise the retirement age, or whatever. And we even see headlines from other countries where people riot over a change in the retirement age. And I've seen people get really like go from zero to 60 in terms of anger and passion when you talk about their social security. And I tend to think that uh, managing people's wealth like you do as a financial advisor and uh, an investment counselor, that maybe social security isn't a big piece of a lot of your clients, but I know you identify with the emotion that is often attached to that issue. Yeah, and I think, I don't know exactly when this took place, but at some point we started actually calling these programs entitlement spending. Ooh, that's true. Entitlement programs. Yes. And I think words are important. So how can you not be upset if you say I'm entitled to something and then you might take it away? Yeah. Uh, and, And the other thing, you know, we can't ignore that we're paying into this. So for you to say it's not going to be there when I get there, you did one of two things one of three things. You either lied to me in the beginning and you're running a Ponzi scheme. Number two, you came up with a program that isn't actually a viable program or you've been stealing from it. Those are the only three options in people's heads. 
the reality of the program, although some of those other things I would say are arguably true, we can't ignore the simple mathematical equation that Mm -hmm. is Social Security. It was started back in 1935. They called it the Older Workers Retirement Act. They changed the name not long after that to Social Security. The whole intention of the program was to help older workers get out of the workforce during the Great Depression and not go destitute while allowing younger workers to come into the working world because unemployment was at all-time highs. So now we have this situation where we can substantiate or sustain people's you know position in the economy. However, at the time, you couldn't collect it until you were 65, and the average age in 1935 of life expectancy was 63. Pretty well-funded, yeah. right? Sure. And you had, and I might be wrong in these stats, but I believe you had something like 11 or 12 people paying in for every one person collecting, and clearly that person wasn't collecting very long. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today, those numbers aren't even close to the same. No. Now you have life expectancies in the, you know, in the 80s, arguably. Mm -hmm. People are still able to retire on Social Security between the ages of 62 and 70, 67 being the predominant full retirement age for most. So that's only gone up by two years, but the life expectancy has gone up by I don't know, let's call it 20. And the workforce, uh, you know, with baby boomers retiring, the amount of people collecting versus the amount of people paying in is a lot more. So I think, you know, we need to address that or it is, in fact, going to run out. I mean, it's just a fact. Yeah. But nobody wants to be the one to have that difficult conversation. No, there's this uh, acronym out there, NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, which stands for not in my backyard. And that comes up when somebody wants to build like a prison. Yeah, great idea. Build more prisons, some people might say, but just don't build it in my backyard. And as I approach retirement, and it's out there on the horizon, not imminent, but I, you know, really hope and I'll be upset if Social Security is not there for me. But I have daughters who are all under the age of 20, and I just would never tell them, hey, don't worry, it'll be there for you. You guys have to come up with a plan on your own. But there is this idea, like, where's the cutoff? Like, okay, you're 60, you have every right to expect Social Security. Okay, you're 50, like, sorry, you're not going to get it, or you might get it if you're 40. Like, I don't know how our government ever balances or institutes an age where they just say, all right, if you're X age, it'll be there for you if you're one below that, it's not going to be there for you. And I know you and I have talked about it before, and I don't want to misquote you, but I think you've said uh, you're somewhat skeptical that it will ever fully sunset and go away. Yeah, I don't see it. Um, And that's not to say never. I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. Because of the political toll that would take on whichever party is deemed to be responsible for it? It, Absolutely. And I also think it's it's somewhat critical for the virility of the U.S. economy. Uh, I mean, we can talk about how Social Security may or may not be there, but a large percentage, I would argue over half at least— is not just hoping for it, but they're relying on it for more than half, I would guess, of their retirement income. So you remove that, and we're going to have some really big problems with older Americans being impoverished. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever talked to somebody who's retiring exclusively on Social Security, a lot of them would argue they're already impoverished. So take that away, and and then what happens? Now, what we do to change it is really the big decision, and it doesn't appear to me that we have anybody in Washington that's willing to have that hard conversation with saying, all right, here's what we have available. We can raise the retirement age at a certain age, so we can make cutoffs, and maybe for your 20-year-old daughter, now full retirement age is 77 years old. Who Mm -hmm. knows? But at least we know, Um, and by doing so, now we know that it will stabilize this situation. 
we can raise the amount that we pay into it. Mm-hmm. So currently we're paying in about 6.2% and then our employers match that. Okay, so we can raise that to seven or seven and a half. I'm sure everybody would be really happy about their paychecks <laughs> dropping. Um, we can change the inflation adjustments, which I'm sure everybody would be really happy about in the midst of our current inflationary environment. Sure, the check go up. We can change the calculation, meaning, okay, yes, it'll be there, but you're going to get less, and that has no bearing on your age. We're just going to start with a less dollar amount. Um, or, and the big fear, and this is where it gets really, you, you said earlier, I believe, that you know, or maybe it was in the previous segment that there's a philosophical difference between, you know, Democrats and Republicans. This is where we really get to that philosophical difference. And that is something called means testing or you'll hear worded in different er- in different circumstances. But I think we're experiencing some of that means testing right now in the housing market as we see that now you can actually get a lower rate if yeah. you have a lower credit. So means testing as it would relate to Social Security would be you were very disciplined you had delayed gratification, so you were instead of going and buying the fancy car, you bought a reasonable car, you saved the money, you built up this huge nest egg, hopefully a huge nest egg, or listen, if you spent your whole life doing it, it's it's huge to you, no yeah. matter what that number is. And because you did that and you did all the right things, you don't get Social Security, but the person that blew all the money and bought the fancy car, they get Social Security, which is what we're seeing well, right with now. The, with the mortgage rates, with the mortgage, mortgage rates. costs, rather, the cost of a mortgage, yeah, we are. It's really odd. You know, we've been taught kind of our whole entire life uh, the general rule is do things right because things will be easier for you because you've done things right pay your credit cards off in full don't carry credit card balance get a high credit score now as of may 1st those things don't really work to your advantage they well they work to your advantage in a lot of ways i don't mean to say a, a bad credit score is a good thing but when it comes to mortgage fees not a good thing so uh that's a little off the path that we were on, but nevertheless, uh, there are things that change depending upon who has the power to change them, and that is one of those things. So as you think about saving for retirement, as you contemplate taking advantage of the free consultation that you can get with Josh and his team to get to know them, have them get to know you, determine if you're a fit for each other, which my wife and I determined that, and we're very happy Aptus clients. You can make the call to their office and set up that appointment, 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment online by going to their website. Their website is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. There's a perception out there that when you retire, your costs go down. You're not commuting to work anymore. Maybe you have your house paid off. You don't have to pay for employee-related expenses. Like Maybe your clothing budget goes down or whatever. Uh, is that true? Is that a perception that people can count on when they get to retirement, that their costs go down? And then the next part of that is, Okay, then uh, if my costs are going to go down, then what percentage of my current income should I plan to need or plan to uh, have at my disposal in retirement? Yeah, there's a bunch of rule of thumbs. Uh, so the, the old rule of thumb was between 70 and 80% of your pre-retiree income you will need in retirement. Now, it's a rule of thumb. Annually. 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 Yeah, and I think it's just silly because everybody's lives are different. For example... If I know the year I retire, I'm going to pay my house off, mm-hmm. it would be naive for me not to ignore that reduction in my monthly expenses. Sure. If I knew that I was saving 20% into my 401k every year, I'm not going to be saving into my 401k when I retire. So there's 20% right there that I get back into my pocket, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm self-employed and I'm paying both sides of Social Security, there's 15% between Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. 
well, if I was saving 20% into my retirement plan and 15% was going to Social Security, that's 35% right there. So 65 is a good number for me before we even start talking about other things. So it's important that these are all rules of thumb and we need to negotiate um, and kind of navigate those. However, you asked a, a very specific question that was, you know, what do people spending typically look like in retirement? And conventional wisdom was always, you're going to need, you know, whatever inflation is, 3% per year more than you did the year before. Mm -hmm. And while inflation obviously impacts the way that you, you know, you live your life, it's been my experience that very rarely does somebody come in on an annual basis and go, it's January 1st, here for my extra 3%. You know, that's just (laughs) not the way we live our lives, right? Right. So usually the way that it works is you'll keep kind of a consistent amount that you receive. And then periodically you'll go, well, you know, we decided to take a vacation, so I need an extra five grand. Mm-hmm. Or last couple of years, for example, groceries are through the roof. I'm going to have to kick it up by a couple hundred bucks a month. That is not a consistent 3% per year. The other thing that we've learned very recently is there's this concept that apparently has validity, and I've seen it uh, in my own practice, something called the retirement smile. And the idea of the retirement smile is if you think about a smile – on it's high on one side, mm-hmm. high on the other, goes down in the middle. Re- people's retirement expenses start very high in the first couple years of retirement. You do all the things that you wanted to do, all the travel, all the things. And then we start getting a little up there in age. And if you've been around anybody who's got up in age, they usually start traveling a little less, mm-hmm. don't want to get too far from their doctors. Sure. They feel comfortable in their hometown. Spending actually declines. And then towards the end of life, those medical expenses tend to pick up and exp- spending goes back sure, up. end of life care and things like that. But if you do the math, adjusted for inflation, so I'm not saying that you're not going to need inflation adjustments, but on an inflation-adjusted basis, if you take that smile and you flatten it out, people's expenditures actually go down by about 1% per year throughout their lifetime. It's just bookended on both sides. And then you accommodate for inflation and it's going up, but it's not going up by, it's going up by inflation less 1%. Okay. Interesting. Josh and the Appis team are located in Lewis Center. Their offices are just off Route 750, 614-917-1040 if you'd like to get a hold of Josh and his team. So here's some numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics about what people who are 65 or older spend on average per year. Okay. I'm going to be surprised if this... Uh, anything surprises you. Uh, as you might expect, uh, those who spend less than $10,000 a year, small number, 2.1%. I'm just going to do a cutoff kind of in the middle. 60% of people spend less than $40,000 a year, 40000 or less. Okay. Okay. And 40% spend more than $40,000 a year. And the biggest percentage of that. 28% uh, of the total population is spending uh, less than $75,000 a year. We have a relative few, I would say, about 13% of retirees are living what I think most people would perceive as the really good life. They're spending $75,000 a year or more. But let's think about that for a second. $75,000 a year or more, 13%, that doesn't sound like a normal dispersion of wealth in your earning years, right? So that speaks to, regardless of the amount of wealth you have, you probably don't need 70, 80% of your pre-retirement income, right? Because we know that more than 13% of the population in the United States makes 
more than 75%. We mm-hmm. already know that. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. know that to be true. So that does not shock me. Uh, and what might shock you is regardless of someone's net worth, those numbers don't change a lot. So, for example, I can think of numerous people off the top of my head who are clients of mine who are millionaires, if not multimillionaires, that are living on less than $40,000 a year. And that comes as a huge shock to people. The biggest challenge they have is, I have to take minimum required distributions. I don't want the money. I don't need the money. What can I do with it? And I've asked all of these people, what is the logic behind that? Why Why are you living? Because a lot of people would say you're living like a pauper. Why are you compared... living so modestly? Yeah, why? Yeah. And their answer to a, to a T is always the same. I've lived my whole life conservatively. And as a result of that, my life has been simple. And I like my life simple. Hmm. I've had all the things in my life. I've had the fancy cars. I've had all the stuff. And it didn't bring me any enjoyment. All it did was bring me more trips to when you have five cars, you got to go to the mechanic five times as much as one. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a big house, it's more to X. It's more of this. And, you know, people say, well, if you got a big house, you got to I wouldn't want to clean it. I assure you they weren't cleaning it. They were paying somebody to clean it. But then that's an additional expense that they said is just kind of frivolous and unnecessary. And if you have a two million dollar net worth or a three million dollar net worth, you probably don't have house payments, car payments. All you have is utilities and taxes. If you were only taking money out of your investments for nothing but just enjoyment, how much money would you really need? Now that's different for everybody. My wife would tell you I probably need a lot, <laughs> and she would need very little. But how much would you really need? Right. So that's why. It's very important to structure your retirement accordingly because, you know, we can talk about whether you should pay your house off and what, how that applies to this. Uh, what are the tax implications mm-hmm. of living on 75 versus 40? There are some huge advantages to having a low monthly requirement in retirement. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. And if you say, wow, that sounds good to me, I'd like to get in a position where I have a big nest egg there, and I'm spending modestly in retirement. Well, that requires discipline, and now is the best time to start ingraining that discipline if you haven't before. And it also, in my view, uh, kind of emphasizes the necessity of having somebody who is really on top of your retirement. For the longest time, my wife and I did it ourselves, and let me just tell you, I think we did okay at it. We didn't do uh, catastrophically bad at it, but the one thing we didn't have was peace of mind about the fact that we were doing it right. Uh, For me, having somebody who is legally obligated to be on the case and be doing things that, as I said, he's legally obligated to do for my benefit, that gave me the peace of mind that I didn't have when we were doing it ourselves. Any fiduciary will offer that to you. Josh and his team are fiduciaries at Aptus, 614-917-1040, to take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. You can also set up your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. I find that to be kind of a remarkable... Uh, awareness of people that they have the means if they wanted to, you know, quote unquote, go hog wild and spend a bunch of money in retirement. But they've recognized that they had those things. And I don't know, maybe it's a desire to pass it on to their children, their grandchildren or whatever. But I just find that to be um, kind of an, an ende- more than kind of a very endearing mindset to not spend everything you have, even though if you wanted to, you could. It's life's greatest paradox, right? For anybody listening who has never been able to buy all the stuff they want, <laughs> they go, well, I'd like to find out for myself, yes. right? Yes, 
but you have to find out for yourself before you realize that you didn't need it to begin with. You know, if you're into watches, you want to have a Rolex or whatever your fancy watch is before you realize it's just a watch. If you're into cars, you want to have a really fancy car before you realize, well, maybe it's just a car. Now, for everybody who's listening and saying, well, that all sounds good. Are you really teaching us to be paupers and live off of nothing? I assure you I have clients that have no problem spending mm-hmm. all sorts of money and they really enjoy it. Think of the, uh, you know, the clients that would be the professional athlete spenders, sure. right? They like spending sure. it. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I'm not somebody who wants to live you know, on $2,000 a month either. So I, I totally understand. All I'm suggesting is those numbers really don't shock me because I would say it's representative of my client base. Yeah. And two, we've chatted today and in other shows about uh, that decision. Like there are some decisions that are compelled. You have a time where you have to take social security and I don't know, maybe that works the same with uh, other investments or maybe you have to make, I know it works that way when you come to distributing some of your assets to your kids, there's a time where you have to do it. And if you die before that time, then that messes up or not die, but it messes up your Medicaid. I know we dealt with my parents on that kind of stuff. So what I'm getting at is that um, in terms of Social Security, uh, do you find that when people retire, most of your clients like, that's it, no more work, I'm done? Or do you have people who quote unquote retire and still have a part-time job or maybe even need a part-time job to augment what they have saved for retirement. A hundred percent. Yeah. And there's some, some caveats you want to look at there before you're the age, the full retirement age that applies to you. So that's somewhere between 66 and 67 before you reach that age. If you go to work and collect social security, there is an income threshold before your social security will actually start being reduced. And for easy math, let's just say that 20,000 bucks, roughly, For every $2 you make over that, they take a dollar of your Social Security back. Mm. So, you know, what you don't want to do is say, well, I'm going to go keep working, making $70,000 a year, but I'm going to take my Social Security at 62 because I think it might run out because, sorry, but it's going to get all gobbled back away from you anyway. And it's going to act like you never took it to begin with, so it's not like you, you know, lose your credits. But once you're 66 or 67 and you say, you know what, I want to keep working. Why would I quit working? But nobody in my family has ever lived past the age of 73. Well, then absolutely start collecting Social Security, Mm -hmm. bank that money, put it in wherever you want to do, right? And for some people, collecting Social Security might be the way that they need to go take on that passion project, that job, that whatever it is. I've made a lot of money my whole career, but I've always wanted to be a XYZ. Mm -hmm. But that XYZ doesn't really pay a whole lot, so... I'm going to go do that, but Social Security will enable me between the two. I'm, I'm okay. So it's not always the right decision or the wrong decision. And, I, and unfortunately, Bruce, I hear a lot of these kind of anecdotal things where people say, well, I was talking to my friend and he told me you better take Social Security at X age because of yeah. insert one out of 19 things you should be thinking of. And unfortunately, people base their decisions on that. So you got to ask the right questions. Yeah, we've chatted before about the fallacy of kind of grading or deciding what you should do by what somebody else should do and evaluating your own success at it by, you know, what other people say they made. And a lot of times that's not even true. When it comes to one word that keeps coming up as we talk about uh, reaching financial independence and the work that you do on behalf of your clients at Aptus is planning. And it's not just planning to save and it's not just being disciplined in saving. Um, I'm curious as people approach retirement, they're are um, oftentimes 
uh, a great desire. There is oftentimes a great desire to pass some of that along to grandchildren or whatever. And that brings into the equation estate planning, trusts, and all those kinds of things. For people who are approaching retirement and a little bit of time that we have left, like is there a is there a period of time in their life where they should be starting to think that, or do those things change so quickly that you should put that off until like way late after you're retiring? I mean, the sooner the better. You should start. You should start educating yourself uh, because there are certain things that have timelines, and if you miss those time windows, then you've probably put yourself in a disadvantaged position where you might not be able to do some of the things that you could have really helped yourself with. Now, am I suggesting that everybody should run out at the age of 22 and get a, you know, Medicaid spend down trust to make sure that when they go into a nursing facility that they, you know, they have their assets protected? Of course not. That would be cumbersome, foolish and not helpful. But I do suggest that, you know, if if you have a significant asset base and what would be a significant asset base? I mean, if you if you're sitting on a half million or a million bucks, even if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, which is pretty young. Yeah. You should 100% be speaking with, you should be incorporating an estate planning attorney in with your financial planning. And we, of course, can help you make that arrangement if you don't already have somebody. Yeah, and Josh has talked about integrating you know, your attorney, your estate planner, your financial planner, a lot of things. Think of it as a team. And a well-managed team is a successful team. And that's what we want to set you up for. That's what they are about at Aptus is getting you to retirement, to financial independence, um, being a winner, being a winning team. Their number is 614-917-1040. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. Get to know them. They'll get to know you. Again, they're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, just a bit north of 270 and 23. And Josh, we'll see you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.